right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, lesson 89, John chapter 21. Kevin, how many chapters are in John? 21. 21, that means this is it. We've gone through 89 lessons of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined. And uh, we've talked about king, servant, son of man. And then just to, just before we move on to the last chapter here, remember as the son of, son of God for the Gospel of John, Many did an incredible job of painting the seven I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am the true vine. So an incredible picture of who Christ is. Remember, every time he says, I am, right, he's implying that he's God. Think about this. Remember, right away in Exodus, we, we see this correlation about when Moses says, oh no, who should I tell you? Who should I tell these people that sent me? He says, tell them I am who I am. And Jesus is referencing the I am statement. And this time in the Gospel of John, he does seven I am statements of I am, but then he also does seven, seven miracles, seven signs and seven wonders. And so he shows up in a monstrous big way. John 20 verses 30 through 31. And it just says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. In other words, there's more than these seven. And then it also says, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah. And the scripture continues on, the Son of God, Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And so here you have all of the, this whole book is so that you would believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life. And so when you have the Son of God in your life, Scripture says you have life. And I love this image because this is the purpose of the Gospel of John. Yeah, we're going to close in John 21, but if you don't remember anything else, just remember John 20 in the Scripture just says, John 20, verse, verses 30 through 31. And because of that, you will begin to understand the whole purpose of the Apostle John, who is the James and John, John, sons of thunder. This is the John who is beloved by Jesus. He's very close with Peter just kind of a backdrop of, of where we are headed. So in John 21, verse 1, it says this. After this, after what we had just experienced, the empty tomb, right? Mary Magdalene seen the risen Christ. We talked about, remember yesterday, all of the, uh, the resurrection appearances. We see that the disciples are commissioned out to go, and they're being sent as, as, as Christ was sent. And then Thomas, he sees and he believes. And then we get into the whole purpose right here of where we're headed. So after this, after all that's been talked about, Jesus revealed himself again. Remember, we're talking about the resurrection appearances. Okay, so he hasn't officially left to be at the right hand of the Father yet. So he shows up to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee, also known as Lake Gennesaret, also known as a name for the Roman Emperor Tiberius Caesar. So he says that he showed up himself to these disciples and he revealed himself in this way. Now, I have to tell you, though, uh, I'm just going to tell you, John 21, people give the disciples a really, really hard time in this chapter. I'm totally going to give them a free card. Here's why I want to give them a free card. Kevin, if you would go to Matthew 26, verse 32. Matthew 26, verse 32, at least three times, three times the disciples were told Jesus is going to show up in Galilee. So Matthew 26, 32 says, but after I've been resurrected, okay, that we know that's happened, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So if I'm thinking, okay, we already hear about Jesus through Mary Magdalene. We already see the empty tomb. If I know that Christ has been resurrected, where should you go? Go to Galilee, 
So that's the natural place they're going to go. Go to Matthew 28, verse 7, if you would. Matthew 28, verse 7. Uh, the scripture says this. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He's been raised from the dead. In fact, he's going ahead of you to where? To Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Again, another time, another instance, somebody says, meet Jesus in Galilee. It's a great picture, but one more. Go to Mark 16, verse 7. Here you have another gospel, synoptic gospel perspective of Mark 16, verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. I mean, for once you can honestly say <laughs> the disciples listened to him. They actually went to Galilee. In fact, here's who went to Galilee. In verse 2 of John 21, it says this. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. So Kevin, if you were to add those up, since you love doing numbers, how many, how many is that? Do you remember? Seven. Seven. Kevin, way to go. So seven guys, okay, possibly just all of the regular fishermen. These seven men are in Galilee, just so you know. When it says Zebedee's sons, just so you don't miss that, that's James and John. So John, our writer, is one of the seven. And in verse three, it says, I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. <laughs> they're all going and they're starting to go fishing. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, here's the whole thing. Okay, there's this big old argument and it really is. Most guys say the, these, the fishermen were totally disobedient. They went back to their old way of doing things. That's the mentality that many, many people have. But man, if you're told to go to Galilee and you're in front of a lake and you're told to wait on Jesus, what would you do if you're a fisherman? I'd go fishing. I'd go fishing. We know what Tony Hicks would do. He'd go fishing. Tony would go fishing. And so I just, I don't know. I guess I feel like a lot of guys are like, oh, they gave up on Jesus. They turned back to their old lifestyle. And I think even at times I've even probably have said that. But I think more and more, you know, and hear the words of Christ throughout the Gospels. I just think they're finally like, I'm waiting on Jesus. So they go to the Sea of Galilee and it says in verse four, remember, they didn't catch anything at night. In verse four, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. I don't know. Do you think it was bad eyesight or do you think, again, it was this supernatural? They didn't recognize Jesus. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I knew you were going to say that. Thanks, Kevin. I mean, how many other instances? Do we have other instances again? Right? Mary Magdalene, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. These guys were prevented. This woman was prevented from seeing Christ. Maybe that's the case in this context. In verse five, men, Jesus called to them. We don't know the distance at that con right now. You don't have any fish, do you? Like, if you're somewhat sarcastic, you're kind of like, I like this comment but I don't necessarily think that he's being sarcastic. And in fact, probably the original in the Greek probably could have implied he's asking if he can buy some fish. Maybe it's a setup. Hey, did you catch anything? Do I have anything? And they said, no. They said, we don't have anything. And then in verse six, Jesus gives the picture. And in some ways in John 21, six, you have this mindset of, I want you to do something completely different. I know, by the way, you've been doing this all night but I want you to cast the net on the right side of the boat and then you'll find some. Interesting enough, at this point, we don't know that they know it was Jesus. And so they trusted a complete stranger on the side of the Sea of Galilee, right? And they just, they tried it. And he said, I want you to cast the net on the right side. And they did, and they were unable to haul in because of the large number of fish. And then in verse seven, it says this. 
In verse 7 it says, Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved. Look, we're on the last chapter. You might as well get it in one more time. This is the Moses saying, Oh, I'm the most humble person in the world, right? The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, just because we're in the Gospel of John, Kevin, if you can, can you go to John 13, verse 23? I just want to make sure all of us see every time that he wrote this. John 13, 23, one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside, uh, beside Jesus. So at the table, you see an instance. Okay, let's go to another one. Can you go to John 19, 26? This is where he's standing at the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple, and he loved, stand, he loved the disciple, he loved standing there. He said to his mother, woman, here is your son. So again, you see another instance of the disciple describing himself as the one Jesus loved. Can you go to John 20, verse 2, Kevin? John 20, verse 2, again, uh, this comes from uh, uh, yesterday. So she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is John writing this about himself. Obviously, they had a very, very, very close relationship. John 21, verse 7, which we just referenced just now. And then, Kevin, one more time. John 21, verse 20. At least five times our writer describes, look, so Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. Five times he describes himself having a relationship that, that Jesus very obviously closely loved him. I don't know. I, I just want to, I, I ask this and I bring these point, this point up because I don't know. I wonder if we would be described like this. I know Jesus loves us, but do we have that burning passion, that love for Christ? I think that's all I'm trying to say here is in that the Jesus, uh, uh, he was very clearly recognized by, by John. And as soon as he says it is the Lord, what does Peter do? I love this. He, he jumps in. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped because he wasn't fully clothed. And then it says he plunged into the sea. I love that thought, though. And he just says in verse 8, but since they were not far from land, how far? About 100 yards away. Okay, 300 feet. The other disciples, they came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Think about Peter. What you see here is an interesting picture of of like, I want to say impulse, right? We've seen his impulse reactions before, right? Wouldn't you say? But what I think is really cool is I think Peter is starting to get to the point where he's actually starting to walk in maturity. I think he really believes, yes, this is the Lord. I mean, think about this, you guys. Didn't he run back to the tomb right away? He's obviously running and, and jumping in and swimming to see Christ. He understands he wants to have a relationship with Christ. You know, people that have gone through some really hard stuff, addictions, or they've gone into jail or prison, and then they have an encounter with the Lord. It almost feels like they understand redemption better than others. It's almost like they're like, yes, Christ really has set me free. And Peter wants to experience Christ because he knows like he wants to get closer because he's really messed up. And I think sometimes, just hear this, not in a judgmental way, I just, just hear this and hopefully out of my heart. Like I think sometimes people that haven't had these drastic scenarios, I think they just take Jesus for granted sometimes. And then I think they don't ever really want to plunge into the sea to encounter Christ. I don't think they want to run back to the tomb to see if, he's, if it's really empty. I think they're just like, oh, it's Christ. I'm fine in the boat. 
I think that's the mentality. And I think Peter, I think there's something there about the restoration of who he is in Christ. So then scripture just continues on in verse nine, when they got out on the land, okay, so all of them, not just Peter, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Jesus is making breakfast. How incredible and, cr and crazy is this? But when you see a charcoal fire, you wonder if it brings Peter back to what happened at the last charcoal fire. I mean, think about this, Kevin, if you would. Would you go to John 18, verse 18? John 18, verse 18, the last time Jesus and Peter were near a fire in that scenario, Peter was denying Christ. Now the slaves in the temple police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. In verse 19, here comes the question. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciple and about his teaching and, and it continues on and, and that's really where you guys, then Peter begins, he as his first, he, he, deny, he denounces Christ at the charcoal fire. And so now here you are, Jesus is literally at the beach, <laughs> the Sea of Galilee beach, right? And as he's standing there, yeah, and I'm Kevin, thanks, John 18, verse 25, as he's standing and warning himself the first time, he says, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and he said, I am not. So the last time around a fire, he says no, but this time around a fire, Jesus, he gives him an opportunity to, to redeem himself. And this time he's with, how, how many disciples were in the boat? Do you remember this? Six other disciples. Six other disciples. So seven total. They're there with Jesus. He's got a fish. He's got bread. Maybe one of the memories, as soon as they're there, they're thinking maybe, I don't know, about John 6, Jesus multiplying the bread. Remember, that was the last time that Jesus was truly like, oh yeah, and he just keeps giving out bread, keeps giving out bread, keeps giving out bread. Oh, by the way, he keeps giving out fish, keeps giving out fish, keeps giving out fish. And so here you have Jesus. It's kind of like everything is coming to a head. In verse 10, he says, bring some of the fish You've just caught, Jesus told them. I'm not quite sure why, because he already has fish there, but maybe they, they feel like they are participating in this process. And in verse 11, so Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore. <laughs> Peter did it all himself. Full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. I, I like the number 153. Uh, you know, to me, uh, it just shows, can you go to 1 John 1, verse 1? Again, there's so many different ways you can look at numbers. You know, I know some of our team here at Time Revive, they love numbers. Like God's speaking to us in numbers. And, you know, in this context, 153 fish, you want to know why I think it's important? It shows that John was an eyewitness of everything. He knows there are 153 fish. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, verse 2 that life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us, verse three. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse four, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John is specifically just saying, this is my eyewitness account. And in verse 12, look what happens. Scripture says, come and have breakfast. Jesus still provides you guys for his disciples' needs. I mean, that's the case. That's what he's showing. Yes, I've died. Yes, I've come back to life. But even though I've come back to life, I want you to understand I will meet your needs. Because what did they do? All night they caught nothing. And when they had an encounter 
in an experience with the presence of God, Jesus will always meet our needs. In Philippians 4, verse 19, Kevin, if you'll go there, I think that's really important for all of us to understand. Philippians 4, 19, when you trust Christ, He will provide, and my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So even though Christ was dead, buried, and came back to life, some of the concerns were, would Jesus still meet the needs of His disciples? Yes fish, bread, charcoal, fire. And so well, here's what I love about this. And I'm going to write something up here that Warren Wearsby said. And, you know, all throughout the Gospel of John, uh, you have this, this, this mentality of, and I'll just say it, this come and see, right? In John 1, verse 39, if you'll go there, Kevin. In John 1, verse 39, right? You have the disciples, hey, come and see that we found them, Right? John 1, 35, come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying. So they have this mentality of come and see and it's going to happen. Interesting enough, in John 7, verse 37, he has another mentality of come and drink. In John 7, verse 37, on the last day and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. So he says to his disciples from the very beginning, the disciples that we're talking about, he says, come and see. And in John 7, he says, come and drink. And I like this one that Wearsby says, he says, come and dine. In John 21, verse 12, come and have breakfast. It's just a cool picture of the ways that we get to experience Christ. Come and see, come and drink and come and dine. He says, none of the disciples, they dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Well, duh, of course. <laughs> In verse 13, Jesus came, he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he, he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, I'll just tell you, this is the third time in the Gospel of John. Okay, I want to make sure we have this perspective. This was the third time in John 20, verses 19 through 23. John 20, verses 26 through 29. And then finally, John 21, 7 through 14. Here you have the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is cool because what we're going to see as we transition into the rest of, of, of these verses, uh, Luke 24, verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus, but he disappeared from their sight. Okay, they had an encounter with Peter and Jesus. Now watch, I'm going to go somewhere with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Okay, so that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter then to the 12. So we know that Jesus appeared to Peter and then he appeared to the disciples. Somewhere in there, I, I can't again prove this 100%, but I do believe somewhere in this, Peter was restored privately. Peter had an encounter with Christ and I believe that there, there had to have been some kind of conversation. His eyes were opened. He appeared to Peter and then he appeared to the 12. So, so maybe, okay, Wearsby suggests this, and I think it's a great suggestion. Maybe the Lord had already met with Peter and then taken care of why and all of this stuff about Peter denying him, but now he's going to do it publicly, okay? It's a thought, okay? And I like this thought because before John 21, what we're going to get into, he's going to restore him publicly. I think that's really important. Don't you agree? It's important to, to have leadership restored before people, but you have to be restored privately as well. And so in this, that's what you're going to begin to see. Public restoration with one of the greatest disciples of, of all time. So scripture says in verse 21, uh, 21, verse 15, 
Kevin, if you'd go there, when they had eaten breakfast, so they're done eating. And so then Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs, he told him. Now three times, okay, really here's what's going to happen. You're going to have the first time, the second time. You're going to have three encounters, okay? So in John 21, verse 15, in John 21, verse 16, in John 21, verse 17. Every single time he asks them some form of this question, do you love me? Now, I want to talk to you about this word love, okay? I love what John MacArthur said. Jesus used a word when he asked Peter, this word love, agape. It signified total commitment. So I want you to think Jesus is saying to Simon Peter, hey, do you have total commitment for me? That's what he's saying. Interesting enough, Peter, when he responds, he, he responds in a different Greek word with phileo. Phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O. And that word implies more of an emotion and a connection on a friendship. So the first one is more about a total commitment. And the other one, it's still really good, but it's connecting on like a friendship level. Yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, does that make sense? And so now, interesting, I will tell you this. These words are interchangeable throughout the gospel. So don't, don't be like so radical that it's total commitment, only friendship. Like they're used interchangeably, but I think I, I see where he's going with this. Jesus wanted full devotion as a fisher of men from Peter. Are you done playing games, Peter? Are you with me? And yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And I love his response, feed my lambs. Now think about this. How is Jesus known? He's known as a good shepherd. He's known as the door of the sheep. This imagery of you have to take care of my sheep. Remember, go after the lost one. I want you to take care of all of the sheep. So he says, feed my lambs. And I like this because what MacArthur says is it's conveying the idea of being devoted to the Lord's service as an under shepherd who truly cares for the flock. Peter, no longer can you desert the flock. You have to take care of the flock. It's an idea of constant feeding and nourishing and feeding and nourishing and feeding and nourishing the sheep. And what John MacArthur says is it's a reminder that the primary duty of the messenger of Christ is truly to feed and teach the Word of God to the flock. What I love is, is in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, Peter radically lived this out. So the first question, he says, are you committed to me and will you take care of my, my flock? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I will. And then he says, good, feed my, feed my lambs. Verse 16, you, you see the question again a second time. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love me. It's just like a repeat. Here we go. Then he says, shepherd my sheep. You know, you can read into this all kinds of ways. It, he's talking about the same thing. Just please take care of my flock. Peter, don't, don't deny them. Don't, don't, don't lose your focus. Go after them and help them and pour into them. And then for the third time, third time, he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was was grieved that he asked him the third time. He says, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I mean, let's just call it out as it is. He does it three times. Why? Three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times. John 18, verse 17. We know this. We read this already at the charcoal fire. In John 18, 25 through 27, guess what? He did it again. So three times he denied 
Christ. And in fact, Jesus even said this was going to happen in John 13, verse 37. John 13, verse 37. So it's kind of like this, this crazy sandwich that it doesn't end like the sandwiches we always think. John 13, 37, Lord, Peter said, why can't I follow you now? I, I will lay down my life for you. In verse 38, Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So Jesus prophesied that he's going to deny him three times. Peter actually does this denial three times. But here's what I love is that Jesus restores Peter back into the ministry. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. And he does this in front of his disciples. And I, I want to make sure you understand this bothered so much. Peter was so bothered that it says in Luke 22, verse 62, he wept bitterly because of denial of the Christ. And so in order to, to restore uh, Peter back into the ministry, he does it publicly. And he asks him three different times. Can I just tell you now, like, there's a lot of people in ministry that have completely radically messed up. I think there are people that have embezzled. I think there are people that have cheated on their church. I think there are people that have cheated on their spouses. And then you know what happens typically in the church? We push them out. We kick them out. Now, there are some scenarios that I love what has happened is that, look, we're human. That's not a free card to sin. It's not a free pass, you know, to, to keep doing what you're doing. But I do think, you guys, there are healthy models out there. I saw a church in Minneapolis do this. A pastor had an affair, but what did they do? They sent him to a different location so that he could be restored so he could come back into the ministry. I think the only time you'd ever kick somebody out is that you're, you're sending them to a place so that they can get restored, they can get, get, get health, uh, get help. And so like, again, it's not a free pass, but I'm just telling you, it, we're all sinners. If Jesus didn't come to restore us and redeem us, then there's no hope at all. I don't know. Seems kind of drastic, I know. But I, I, I love this scenario. I love this scenario that Jesus is here to restore all of us. And in verse 18, Jesus kind of goes pretty far. In fact, he restores him so much so <laughs> that he actually predicts and prophesies his future. He says, I assure you, when you were young, Peter, you, will, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. You did whatever you wanted, Peter. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. You know what that means? He's saying you will die because of me. And in verse 19, he said this to signify, signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Man, this is awesome. Peter suffered martyrdom. Yes, as tradition says, under Nero in AD 67, 68. In fact, he was eventually, they said, crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Messiah. So even though Peter messed up three times, and I promise you every one of us listening somewhere has messed up one time, maybe two times, maybe five times. But the beauty of it is he says, do you, do you love me? If you love me, I can restore you and back into the ministry. And so what we've learned from, from Peter, <laughs> honestly, he can restore you to the point where you need to be prepared to die and suffer for Christ. Any of us can have an impact for the gospel, regardless of what we've done in the past. You want to know why? Because Jesus is the Son of God that comes to give us life. And that life doesn't stop just one time. No, that life is abundantly. And he says, come, come and get it. What I love, he says, come and see, come and drink and come and dine. I'm here to offer it to you. 
You know, guys, uh, this is John chapter 21, and Peter gets into discussion about the one whom he loved, John, at the end. But my point and my encouragement is, is you guys, don't ever give up on Christ because he never gives up on you. Thanks for tuning in with uh, Revive School, John chapter 21. This has been a, a fun study of the gospel of John. And so uh, guess what? Tomorrow we get a study. You ready for this one? Historical books in the book of Joshua. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.